This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the show. It is Triathlon Mythbusters Day, where we will present several multi-sport principles that are commonly believed to be true, but plot twist, they are not as true as they seem to be. I am pumped to get into this. Uh, our first myth-busting coach with us today is professional triathlete and triathlete coach Elizabeth James. Elizabeth is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who quickly rose through the triathlon ranks using TriDot. From a beginner to top age grouper to a professional triathlete. She's a Kona and Boston Marathon qualifier who has coached triathletes with TriDot since 2014. Elizabeth, are you ready to uh, break some hearts and bust some myths? Well, I am especially excited for this episode. So, yep, uh, let's do it. Also joining us today is Coach John Mayfield. John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who leads TriDot's Athlete Services, Ambassador, and Coaching Programs. He has coached hundreds of athletes, ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using TriDot since 2010 and coaching with TriDot since 2012. John, how are we feeling about the topic today? Uh, it's going to be a good one. They say there's a little truth to every lie, and uh, I, I think along with these myths, there's there's certainly some truth mixed in, but uh, I, at some point they went from uh, truth to myth, so uh, look forward to separating the, the two. I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set topic, and then wind things down with Vanessa on the cooldown. As this episode is first being posted, I know many triathletes are starting to think about their next race season, and I wanted to officially invite you to join the TriDot party that will take place at 2023 Clash Miami. Our team has had a blast racing the Clash Endurance events, and dozens of TriDotters wrapped up 2022 at Clash Daytona. We already have a good group of athletes signed up for Clash Miami, including many from the TriDot staff. We'll have a block of hotel rooms in the host hotel and plenty of get-togethers for the TriDot folks heading to South Florida. So head to ClashEndurance.com and use the code TriDotMiami for a discount on your race registration. From there, be sure to join the TriDot at Clash Miami Facebook group to stay up to date with all the TriDot fun planned for that weekend. Time, time, time to warm up. Let's get moving. Triathlon is a wonderful sport filled with wonderful people. It's easy to get hooked on that multi-sport life. But as much as we love our sport and its community, nothing is ever perfect, now is it? Going a little deeper, a, a little existential, so to speak, with our warm-up question today, John, Elizabeth, if you could change one thing about triathlon, the scope is wide here, I I'm being vague, Wh whatever your heart desires, if you could change one thing about the sport, what would it be and why? Elizabeth. All right. Well, um, knowing this warm-up question ahead of time actually gave this quite a bit of thought because I had my initial answer, but I really feared that it wouldn't come across well. Um, but I, okay. I think I'm still going to go with it and just really try to okay. articulate it well enough that it doesn't come across as like super selfish and really greedy. And I say that because it has to do with pro triathletes and their ability to make a living in the sport. So my disclaimer here is that this was my thought like many years before I even, you know, considered going for my pro card. So hopefully y'all okay. are going to believe me on that and, and don't, you know, hold this uh, against me as just being super selfish. Um, but circling back to that point, it's it's very hard for most professional triathletes to make enough money in the sport to, I mean, pay their bills. There are so many pros that are just, I mean, going into a large amount of debt in order to continue racing. And there are so many great athletes in the sport that because of that, they only spend, you know, a couple years really going after it. And then they kind of get nervous and say, Oh, like I, 
probably need to like go and get a, you know, quote, real job now. And I just, I think it's so unfortunate that, you know, what are some of the best athletes in the world are paid pennies compared to what other professional athletes are paid. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the PTO continues to do and what happens over the next few years. Um, But that's one thing that's always just kind of irritated me, fascinated me is just the discrepancy in, in what the pro triathletes are paid when you look at that compared to other professional sports. Yeah. And how interesting could the professional ranks of our sport be? How, how diverse could that field be if it was more uh, attainable of a career path uh, for more people? PTO, like you said, is trying to change that. We had a fascinating podcast episode with Cody Beals uh, in the year 2022 of the podcast where Cody just kind of broke down um, what, what the financial life is like for a pro triathlete, what it takes to make it financially on the circuit. Uh, to your point, not everybody can do it. Uh, and, and yeah, it would be great if that was something that was a little bit different to, to see more people be able to take a full-time crack at being a pro in the sport, uh, would be great. Uh, John Mayfield, what is your answer to this? So I am unashamedly going to be quite selfish. Um, this is self-promoting. Um, but, uh, and it's, it's possible, but it's not. Um, I think for me, it's the time. Uh, I wish, I wish it weren't so time consuming, um, but it is, and, and it's, it's, it's a catch 22, even in, in that. I mean, it's, it's a lot of time we spend doing what we love. Um, and you know, it's, it's about, um, a lot of times that, that, that time is, is great. It's what we enjoy. It's time with, with friends and other, but it's also time, uh, away from other things. You know, I, I used to be an avid golfer. I haven't hit a golf ball in, in years because all of my free time is now wrapped up in, in triathlon. And there's, you know, there's a lot of time away from family, especially like on weekends when, uh, doing those long rides and, and traveling to races and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, it's, it's missing out on, on other things simply because it is, it is a time consuming, um, activity. So if I could change one thing, uh, which would be really hard to do, uh, I, I wish it, uh, maybe, maybe it's one of those things. Like I just wish there were more hours in the day, more hours in the week, <laughs> uh, just so we could fit it all in. Hey, it, it, you, you could probably spend less time on the sport. Uh, you would just be m- much less competitive and probably have to curb back the distances of which you race, of course. Right. But yeah. And that's kind of what I was getting at. Is like, I don't necessarily want to spend less time doing triathlon. Yeah. Um, I just want more time for other stuff. Okay. So, okay. I get uh, you. I'm tracking with you now. Maybe, maybe it's like a 25 hour work week or something like that, that, uh, we need work, work and other stuff just gets in the way. Yep. I, I Sleep. get you. Um, I, uh, th- this answer for me, I wish that, uh, cycling outdoors, uh, was, was just safer for more people. Uh, I, I wish there were better options for that to be a safe activity. Uh, we're all aware every time you go out and, and you uh, hop on two wheels and you hop on a road with vehicle traffic, uh, you're, you're kind of at the mercy of what those cars around you are doing and how attentive those drivers are being. What, and I don't, I don't know what the fix is here. I don't know if it's, if it's better cycling infrastructure, uh, for, for, for in more places and more towns. I don't know if it's just, uh, I, I would love if, if, if there were like cycling facilities, right. Where they, they were just like acres of property or state parks that had more trails and more, uh, you know, five mile loops and circles that were closed to, to vehicles where you could just kind of safely ride your bike. We all know, uh, uh, Zwift is great. Uh, Ruby is great. Training indoors is very productive, but there is no joy like getting on two wheels outside in the sunshine, getting that fresh air going into your lungs, uh, and enjoying a ride, whether it's by yourself or with friends. And, and I just wish that it was safer for more people to do that. Uh, that, that'd be what I would change. We're really interested to hear what our audience has to say here. I know there's some things that I considered saying here that are different, and I'm sure our audience will have some opinions. So when you look at the sport of triathlon, uh, what is one thing that you would change? Uh, We're going to throw this question out to you on the I Am Trot Facebook group to see what you have to say. So find the post asking this question to you. Can't wait to uh, see what you think. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Delta G ketone drinks are revolutionizing the way many of us have tried out fuel or triathlon training and racing. And the more we've used Delta G drinks, the more we've been struck by the noticeable impact Delta G performance and tactical have on our recovery. As athletes who train almost every day of the week for three different sports, Delta G's boost to recovery is a total game changer for triathletes. 
Try adding just a small serving of ketone ester mixed into your post-workout drink and experience the recovery boost for yourself. As you recover while you're asleep, try just a small drink just before bed. The team at Delta G even offers free 15-minute one-on-one consultations where you can learn more about jumpstarting your post-workout recovery with Delta G ketones. So head to the website to learn more about fueling and book your free 15-minute consultation. When you place your order, use code TRYDOT20 to get 20% off your Superfuel ketone drinks. What if I told you that not everything you've heard about triathlon is true? The fact is, you probably wouldn't be all that surprised. I mean, there is a ton of info out there on how to train and how to be a good little triathlete. Uh, A lot of it is good info. Some of it started off right, but is now outdated. And some of it, you know, is just plain wrong. Uh, That's why Coach John and Coach Elizabeth are here to help debunk 15 triathlon training myths. Let's get into it. Myth number one, uh, large training volumes will yield the best results and long course preparation must be started in the preseason to build a base. Why is this a myth? Debunk this for us. All right. I'm I'm going to jump in here on this one. So I think the first thing to say is just that, you know, more isn't always better. And I mean, we've talked about that on the podcast before, and, and we're going to say it again here today. Um, athletes are often just lamenting over the numerous training hours that they're logging while preparing for a triathlon. I mean, specifically those half Ironman or full Ironman distance events. I mean, goodness, that that was even part of John's warm-up question, you know, it, it takes a lot of time. Um, and so they're claiming, you know, that in order to really be successful at these longer course events, they have to start logging these long, long hours, months and months and months ahead of time. Um, sometimes even they claim, you know, really start a year ahead of time. And they talk about how those hours are making them really fatigued, causing them to miss out on all of those family events. You know, it's compromising maybe their pace. They just feel like they're going slow all the time, getting a whole bunch of niggles, little injuries. And they just think that that's part of the process. Like this is, you know, just what you have to do in order to be successful. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I mean, that large volume training is often based in fear and just ensuring that athletes put in enough distance or enough time to really successfully get to the finish line, not, you know, get to the finish line in their best possible outcome, but just even being able to make it. And, you know, while logging these endless hours can produce, you know, enough endurance to adequately cross the finish line, (laughs) athletes are really missing out on their best performance because of that. And that's one of the things that, you know, we've kind of come back to in some of these like Tridot principles of fast before far and strong before long, where Tridot is prescribing training for each athlete that produces the best possible race result. And so when athletes are working at the volume and intensity that's appropriate for them, not only is their peak performance attainable, but, you know, they have time to spend on life's other priorities that, you know, in January, February, they're not necessarily going out for six to eight hour bike rides on the weekend when their Ironman is in October. Um, And so it's really not about how much training you do or how much you're doing in comparison to others or what others say you need to be doing. It's doing the right amount of training for you. And we've we've said that before. We'll say it again. It's about doing the right training right. And more is not the answer to necessarily producing your best results. Yeah, and we certainly see on the I Am Triathlete Facebook group when experienced triathletes uh, join the group or, or even when some newer triathletes join the group. And, and like you said, they, they might look at uh, the, the, the other triathlete in the neighborhood or they might look at a triathlete that signed up for the same Ironman a, as them and they might see, oh, so-and-so is already doing um, you know 80-mile bike rides you know four miles out or four months out from this Ironman. Triathlete has me biking two hours max, like, man, am I, am I not training enough? And it's like, no, you, you, you are fine. Uh, what they're doing is, is a, a, a myth. It's an outdated myth to train the way that they're training. Um, okay. Moving on to myth number two. Thank you, Elizabeth, for debunking the myth that, uh, training for, for, for long base miles is, is required a long way out from race day. Myth number two is this to be a successful triathlete. You need to be training the swim, bike, and run all of the time you need to get as much of all three sports into your training week as you can to be successful in this sport 
John, talk to us about this myth. So this really comes from, um, or, or, or I guess it's debunked by uh, really prudent training. When uh, you are taking a, a high-level approach to your training and really getting specific in how we are structuring the training, what is being prescribed, um, what is the intent and purpose of every session, um, so that, as, as Elizabeth mentioned, doing the right training right to produce your, your best overall um, results. So um, it, it's about having the, the proper amount of each and being able to determine how do we allocate resources between the swim, bike, and run? How much volume uh, <laughs> in a given week do we allocate to, to each of the disciplines? How much intensity, uh, what levels of intensity are, are going to be prescribed within, within those sessions? So there's a whole lot to it. Um, and, and fortunately, that's, that's the uh, part of the magic of, of TriDot is able to prescribe all that specifically for each individual. So they'll know exactly uh, what volume, what intensity, uh, what amount of intensity, level of intensity, all those kinds of things partnered with adequate recovery. So um, it's not necessarily about just getting in as many sessions as you can. It's getting in um, quality sessions and getting in the right amount of, of sessions. So um, as Elizabeth mentioned, it's not all about uh, getting in as much as you can. Uh, there's that that common thought, if some is good, more is better. Uh, I think that's definitely applied um, regularly in triathlon. Um, but uh, as, as she debunked earlier, it's not always about doing more. It's about doing what's right. This is kind of a myth I fell into early on as a triathlete because I, I started doing this sport. I was racing local sprints and Olympics. I did a 70.3 or two before I was a triathlete athlete, and I... I was going down to the pool and swimming four or five times a week, uh, every single session at about 40 ish minutes a pop on my lunch breaks from work. I was trying to run in the evenings as, as often as I could. And I was trying to, to, uh, get, get on my bike, uh, outside for 10 mile rides, 20 mile rides here and there as often as I could. And when I joined TriDot, I, I at first was like, man, I, I, am I not training enough? Because it, it took me down to two swims per week. It, 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 really spaced out which days I was biking hard and which days I was running hard. And, uh, I, I very quickly learned, like saw the gains that, oh man, this is better. Uh, this is better than what I was doing. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's dispelling that myth of, oh man, I, I really feel like I need to be in the pool as often as possible and out on the road as often as possible. Uh, try founder, Jeff Boer. I've heard him say it this way. You, you, you have three levers you have to pull. You have the, the swim lever, the bike lever and the run lever, and you can only pull on each lever so much. And so we have to balance how much we're pulling each lever. And, and that's kind of dispelling that myth here. If, if you pull those le levers in the right way, you know, you, you can pull on the swim a little bit less and you can pull on the bike a little bit more and, and try to help optimize all of that to where you're improving at a better rate than uh, just trying to pull all three levers as much as possible in your training week. Uh, myth number three. Good job on that one, John. Uh, number three, we're going to throw this one over to Elizabeth. Uh, Myth number three is you should spend most of your training time on your weakest discipline. A, a lot of people think this like, oh man, this is the thing that I'm weak at. Uh, so if I get better at this, I'm going to be a stronger all around triathlete. Elizabeth, why is this a myth? As, as you kind of, you know, started to talk about it, it almost seems like common sense at first. And so, you know, if there's something that you need to improve on, you are going to spend the time working on it. Um, if you're going to, you know, look to improve your swim, people think, okay, I'm going to log like countless hours in the pool and until we see some improvement. Um, I've fallen into that trap. And I, I can tell you, I mean, from personal experience, from working as a coach, um, from talking with other athletes, you know, 10,000 hours of doing something wrong just makes you really, really good at doing that thing wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to produce improvement. Um, you know, a change here needs to be made. And this is actually something that um, Jeff Boer and I even discussed in one of our first podcasts. And that was, you know, how to remove the eight barriers to swim improvement. And we talked about episode number two. Yes. I mean, All right. way, going, it back. going way back there. <laughs> um, but that was such a great episode, not only for, you know, the information there, but just that emphasis of doing more of something that is incorrect is not going to just automatically fix it and produce a change. Um, so yeah, often athletes are going to try to improve that by increasing the frequency, increasing, you know, how much they're doing that activity, but just additional repetition is reinforcing some of those underlying issues that need to be corrected. And this is even a very scary path down to injury. Um, if you just keep, you know, doing those repetitive patterns. So 
practice does not make perfect if the practice isn't perfect. If the practice is incorrect, we're not going to see those improvements there. And so a better strategy is to really train with an intent, train with a purpose, doing sessions that, you know, consider the frequency, duration, intensity, and technique. Athletes doing the right work at the right time for the right amount of time with the right effort, those are the ones that are going to see the best improvements. I mean, it kind of goes back to that whole more isn't better. Um, You may need to spend a little additional training time on your weakest discipline, but not at the expense of the quality of that training. Yeah. So, so it's not necessarily spending more, you you need to work on your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't ignore your weaknesses, but it's not just throwing endless amounts of time at it and expecting it to get better. It's doing the right things, targeted things, being mindful in what you're doing, uh, when you're working on your weaknesses and then also keep working on your strengths. Uh, you know, keep, keep improving in all three sports across the board. Um, so yeah, great approach there. Elizabeth, thank you for debunking that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to keep hip hopping back and forth between the two of you and, and you guys are just, I'm lobbing these up and you're knocking them down. So let's, let's send myth number four over to John. Uh, myth number four is swim focused. And it's a lot of people believe that joining a master swim program or, or working one-on-one with a swim coach is the best way to get faster in, in the swim. Now those things can certainly help you, but, but it is a myth that that is, just going to be this cure-all for your swim form. Uh, John, talk to us about this. Yeah, and again, this is where there's there's a little bit of truth to every every myth. And and joining a master swim may help you uh, get get faster. But oftentimes, like a lot of these uh, like a lot of these myths, you'll see some incremental gain, but often quickly plateau. Perhaps even have deterioration or uh, injury that that kinds of of thing. So the, the issue um, with with master swims is, is they're largely generic. Your, your classic master swim puts a whole bunch of swimmers of all different abilities with all different swim types into the pool. And they get the same workout from the same coach with a lot of the same, uh, feedback. So a lot of times it's the same set, um, in the same drills for, for everyone that's in the session. So, uh, the biggest thing there is the, the generic, um, swim drills, which the, the, the issue there is, Drills are only productive if they are fixing something that needs to be fixed or reinforcing something that you're doing right. Um, sometimes certain drills will overemphasize things that that you're already overemphasizing, or uh, if you're not doing the drills properly, they're going to be counterproductive. So, kind of for me, the classic example I, I always use is the catch-up drill. It's very commonly prescribed. Lots of master swimmers are being prescribed that catch-up drill to have um, kind of that glide at the front of, of the stroke, which is, which is a critical component to it. But there's a lot of people that spend too much time there that, uh, kind of stall out there and, and miss the advantage of that propulsion that, that is, uh, during that phase of the stroke. And if you're hanging out there too long already, that catch up drill is just going to reinforce what you're already doing wrong. Uh, you don't need to be spending more time up there, which is what that catch up drill is going to reinforce. You need to be spending less time. So, um, you know, that's that's where um, just kind of the generic um, nature of, of the master swim can can be um, can be an issue. Uh, also, just the generic sets. You know, it's it's the swim set you need to be doing um, likely is different than than person in the next lane or, or perhaps even in the same lane from you, depending on your abilities, your goals, what you're looking to do, what the rest of your training looks like. Uh, you know, it, it really comes down to the individual and that masters is, is kind of the opposite of that. It is, it is very much a group, um, focused thing. Oftentimes too, the, the feedback that you're going to get from that coach is, is flaw or symptom based. So they're going to see, uh, things like, oh, you're crossing over. So just reach wider. Uh, and oftentimes there's a root cause to that, um, that is, is causing that. And, and, and that, that goes back even to that same podcast number two that Elizabeth mentioned, um, going back to some of those fundamental things, uh, that, uh, allow us to swim proper. And, and when we don't have them, things like balance, um, there are certain symptomatic things that, um, aren't going to get better simply by over-exaggerating, uh, the, the other way. Um, so, uh, just to, to plug our, our cure for this is try out pool school. That's where we go back and really start from a foundational level to, to, um, ensure that that every swimmer that that goes through pool school has um proper um proper technique and and really has those fundamentals things like like balance um in in check and and before we we even move on we we want to make sure that all those things are working proper so uh 
for in most cases, the the best way to make those swim gains is to to, to go back and make sure that all these things um, are are proper and uh, doing them doing them correctly. And, and uh, pool school is a great way to uh, to get that. I, I want people to hear our heart here. Our, our, our intent is not to say uh, that master's swim programs are stupid and you should never go to them. Uh, our, our intent is to view them as uh, what, what, what they are and, and they are not a replacement for learning proper swim form from the ground up. Uh, and that's not typically what they do to what John, what, what you're saying. They, they, you will have a coach on deck. That coach will point out some things to you as you're swimming that, that that's fine. If you have a, a, a nice base for what your technique should be, it's good to have eyes on you and that can be productive. Uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, uh, uh, ambassador, Lauren LeBlanc was on an episode with us and, and she referenced how she really likes uh, attending her TriMasters uh, swim group in her local area because it's just a nice community of triathletes to swim with. Uh, and, and that that's great. If you're going to a master swim group and it's getting you in the pool with other athletes and that's motivating you to get in the pool and train, uh, swim pro- master swim programs are great if you're just using it for the right reason in the right way uh, and you've already done something like a tried-out pool school to, to really lay the foundation for your swim form. I completely agree with, with all of that. I've, uh, I've, I've participated in master's swims in the past, but, but, you know, and a lot of those comments I made came from my own personal experience where, um, I, I was just kind of prescribed generic sets and, and, and did, uh, I didn't really advance a whole lot. Didn't really get faster in my time, but it's a lot of fun. It, you know, it, I probably swim more consistently, um, which there's absolutely value in that. I enjoyed it, uh, you know, swimming with those other people. So absolutely there's, there's a, a place for it. Um, but you know, if you're singularly focused on improving your swim, getting faster, swimming longer, um, that may not be your best course of action. Try myth number five is that triathlon training is exhausting and triathletes are just tired all of the time. Uh, therefore it is good, uh, to take a rest day each week. Uh, Elizabeth, why is this a myth? I'm excited that you kind of lobbed this one up my way because I feel like one of the questions that I've gotten a lot over the past couple of years is people saying, okay, so you know, what day is your rest day? And they're rather surprised to find that like I don't take one weekly, um, not necessarily even monthly either. I mean, they're they're here and there. Um, and most of the time it it has to do more with like travel or work or family things and choosing to take that day yep. off Same here. versus yep. like a, a specific scheduled rest day because of other training sessions. And I mean, there really isn't the need for one. I think that traditional rest days are often the result of kind of trial and error training where athletes take on too much training and then they need that additional recovery time at the cost of other training opportunities. It's kind of one of those like, whoops, we went too hard, body's not ready to go. I guess we better take like a day or two off. And and that's just not how it is for my training. When training is balanced with stress and opportunities for recovery, it allows for safe and productive training seven days a week. Um, I mean, currently Thursdays for me are like a lighter training day. Um, it may be, you know, considered kind of a recovery day when you compare the duration and the intensity of the other training days during the week, but it's not what I would consider a rest day. Um, you know, I'm likely still on the bike doing a nice, easy ride, maybe in the pool doing some specific technique work. Um, I'm doing some aerobic activity, some mobility work that supports the overall training, um, not necessarily just taking a day off. And then I think the other thing, you know, I, I kind of mentioned, you know, sometimes my my rest days end up being more so because of family things or work. And, you know, if you need to take a day off for that or the logistics of, you know, getting to the gym are, are just tricky or you want to have Sundays off because that is your family day, then that is absolutely 100% fine. That's okay. Um, but rest assured, Oh my goodness. I know Jeff Rains is just going to be smiling at that pun about rest assured with rest days. Um, but you do not. I, I didn't even catch it. That was, that was so smoothly slid in there. I didn't even catch well, it. I'm, I'm sure he probably would have though. He's like on top <laughs> of all of those puns. Um, he, he would have giggled. Yes. He would have giggled after immediately after saying it. Um, 
But yes, you do not have to take a rest day every week for performance purposes. Yeah, and, and Elizabeth kind of just just tacking on to the idea that triathletes are just always exhausted. Uh, that uh, I think a lot of the people that feel that way are probably the ones that are doing unnecessary long base phase style training that we talked about in myth number one. Uh, the the only times, the only sessions in my tri training career with TriDot where I've just been wiped, uh, you know, fairly worthless to the family for the rest of the day is is during that Ironman race development phase where you're a couple weeks, yeah, a month or so out and those Saturday rides start getting where they're five, five and a half, six hours long. Like, okay, yeah, like the, the rest of that day, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worthless to the family. But other than those handful of sessions uh, leading up to Ironman, um, if you balance it right, if you manage your energy right and you fuel right, uh, there, there's no reason why you have to walk around like a zombie uh, because you're, you're, you're tired all the time from the training. Uh, myth number six, uh, this is getting into some, some bike stuff. A lot of people believe that you have to have an expensive bike for triathlon. They believe you have to have a certain type of bike to do a triathlon. And, and a lot of people believe that you need to have a road bike and a TT bike to really nail your training. So John, uh, debunk all of these bike ownership, uh, uh, overarching things here for us. So, uh, the, the easy one, uh, is, is the expensive bike. Uh, they're, they're great. They're sexy. They're, uh, a dream to ride, but absolutely not. I'm necessary. looking at mine right so now. Athletes I'm just gazing that, at its beauty. Um, yeah. <laughs> mine's in the shop. So I miss mine. Mine, mine is, I'm staring at a, uh, an empty bike rack and, and reflecting fondly upon mine. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, so many triathletes do really well. Um, you know, there's not a correlation on the performance end. Uh, it's, it's kind of, kind of funny sometimes to see, uh, some of those first athletes off the bike into T2 and, and some of them are on older, um, not super high end Absolutely. and it's, it's actually pretty cool to see. Um, so there's not necessarily a correlation between performance and, and how much you're spending on the bike. Sure. Um, there are technologies that you can buy. There's some free speed quote unquote that you can buy, but, but absolutely not necessary. Also, it's not necessary to have, have a road bike. I, I absolutely consider myself a triathlete. I'm a, I'm an okay triathlete. And, and even though I do have a road bike, um, I might as well not cause it's, it's covered in so much dust. Um, I've not ridden it probably in two years. And that's because that's when we did Alcatraz and, and it's, uh, we, we were, um, advised properly, uh, to take a road bike to Alcatraz. And, and I was glad I did, but I enjoyed riding it for those like 15 miles, uh, with Andrew, uh, there at the Yay. end. Um, but yeah, I've, I've just not had the need or even the desire to really hop on it, uh, since, you know, at, at best it's like, like today, if my bike is in the shop, um, you know, I could go out on it, but, um, you know, you, you train like you race or you, or you should, um, you know, it's uh, practice like you play kind of a thing. Um, you want to spend lots of time on that race bike to, to ensure that you are comfortable in the time trial position that you have, um, the, the handling skills necessary to handle a time trial bike, especially the, the deeper tube, deeper wheel type, uh, frame. So you're comfortable with it. Uh, you want to be proficient in things like reaching for hydration and food and all those kinds of things. So, um, you know, it, it is important to spend uh, a good amount of time on your race bike, assuming that is a time trial bike. Uh, and, and, and sure, I mean, there are some benefits um, to riding a road bike. But like we said, there, there's some truth to all of these myths. Um, so definitely not knocking road bikes or anything like that. But is it required? Absolutely not. Uh, myth number seven. Uh, a lot of people believe that uh, you, you can kind of once once race season hits, you can throw a lot of races on the schedule and you can race your way to your best fitness. You, you go do a race every single weekend, every other weekend. And by having those races on the schedule and going out and putting forth those race day efforts, uh, you, you will be fitter that way than by racing less often and training more. Elizabeth, why is this a myth? Okay. Yeah. Let's tackle this one. And I, I like this one, especially as the like planner, um, side of me comes out because many athletes will begin kind of their season with the goal of completing a certain number of races that maybe, you know, over the past year, they've kind of written down like, Ooh, that one looks cool. Yeah. I'd really like to do that. And, and they just kind of go and sign up for all of these events that look cool. And they haven't even considered how they're going to interact with one another, um, or maybe even like compete with one another in terms of the time that it's going to take to adequately train for all of these events. 
And the interference of one event on another may prevent an athlete from really achieving their top performance. And so athletes just will, you know, schedule a bunch of these things and then sometimes say, well, you know, I'll just have all of these smaller events leading into my priority race and I'm going to race myself into shape kind of as our myth was alluding to here. But tapering for and recovering from races often takes away very critical weeks of training time. And this is one of the reasons why I just absolutely love Tridot Season Planner, because it helps athletes by guiding them through kind of this race planning process. And it's going to optimize your training based on, you know, your current level of fitness and the timeline that you have between now and your next race event. And it's going to help athletes kind of determine as they're putting their schedule together, like, is this race going to be optimal for me to put on? Um, is it not even available because I don't have adequate time between these two events? Um, do I not have enough time to really prepare myself for it? And it forces them to think about where they want their priorities to be in racing for that next year. Now, don't get me wrong. It is fun to race. And shorter course events may fit into a weekly training better than longer ones and and could you know help with that overall performance improvement but what we really want to avoid here is taking away from those critical training opportunities like putting a 70.3 event you know a few weeks before an ironman if we're putting a 70.3 event just a little bit ahead of a full distance ironman and especially if it requires the athlete to you know maybe take a two week taper going into that race and then recovering for a week or two after i mean you're missing two to four very very important weeks of your ironman build and so are you going to be as prepared for that ironman as if you didn't race the 70.3 and had to i mean take that time to taper and recover no definitely not i mean you've just missed like four critical weeks of training so can you strategically you know put some races in to maybe give you a boost of fitness or include, you know, some fun events along the way. Yeah. Um, But I think this idea of just racing weekend after weekend after weekend and never really putting in the time to train to get to your best fitness is where this myth really just kind of falls off the rails. And we know that the preparation that is done in training is important to producing your best results. All right, myth number eight is you need to run after every bike workout to be ready for a race. Now, I I did not believe this one per se when I first got started. I I did try to run a lot uh, off the bike when I first uh, got going. I I even, I had times when I first started in the sport where I I would go, uh, I would have like an hour to get a workout in. I would go to the pool and I would swim for like 20 minutes. I would get out, I would dry off as quick as I could and I I would head into like the spin room at the gym and just like bike for 20 minutes. And I thought, man, this is real. I'm being really smart. I'm practicing biking out of the pool and looking back. I'm sure those sessions did absolutely nothing for me. I wasn't in the water long enough to build fitness in the water. I wasn't on the bike long enough to build fitness on the bike, but man, I thought I was really practicing that transition. Uh, but certainly a lot of people think it, it's, it's a three discipline sport on race day. I have to go from this to this, to this. And so they try to practice that. And, and this is kind of a myth that not kind of, it is a myth uh, you do not need to run every time you get off the bike. You do not need to, to, to bike every time you get out of the pool. Uh, John, why is this a myth? Yeah, so as you mentioned, for those those reasons, running off the bike really is an acquired skill. You have athletes that have been running for years and years, very proficient runners, but uh, you put them on a, on a bike for an hour or more, and, and it's a whole other ball game coming off the bike. Um, and it really is an acquired skill. And I, I remember back when I, when I first... Uh, was was getting into triathlon and just having those jelly legs and and just that really weird feeling. Um, also um, having trouble pacing off the the bike. Uh, sometimes it was too fast, sometimes too slow. Uh, so it really is an acquired skill. Uh, so I would say uh, for the new triathletes or those that uh, maybe have um, kind of been out season for, for a while and, and not been doing a lot of those runs off the bike. Um, the, the newer, the triathlete, or if it's been a while, those are going to become more important so that you really dial in, um, that, 
that skill. Um, and, and I would say the, the, the myth that, that I see more so in this case is those runs off the bike don't need to be long. A lot of times I'll see athletes doing, um, one hour, two hour runs off the, off the bike when they're training for Ironman. And really it's just not necessary. In fact, that's going to be a low quality session because chances are that uh, bike session you did was going to be very taxing. Um, so you're going to be in a severely depleted state. Uh, your form is going to be bad. Um, and it's just not going to be an overly productive session. Yes, it's good to, to mix those in occasionally as race day approaches, but um, vast majority of your off-the-bike sessions just need to be um, relatively short, uh, give or take 20, 30 minutes, and that's just enough to to dial in uh, that skill of, of running proficiently off the bike. Myth number nine, a lot of people believe that if you are following a triathlon training plan, you should never skip a workout on your plan. Elizabeth, talk to us about why this is a myth. It seems like a good thing that the closer you can follow the workouts, uh, the better, the more you can stick to your plan, the better. Uh, but this can be a myth. Let's talk about it. Yes. Yeah. I, I think we, you know, say never say never here. Um, if you never skip a workout, you, you just aren't listening to your body. And whether that's a jam packed work day or your body's just kind of aching, needs a break, Um, we definitely shouldn't be beating ourselves up over a missed workout. And I feel like, you know, maybe we should have sent this one over to John because, you know, he has that phrase of perfection isn't required, but consistency is key. It it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to, you know, check off every single box, but we do need to be overall consistent with this. You are going to miss some workouts and, and frankly, you should, you know, missing a workout might be better for you than overly stressing yourself either mentally or physically to get it done. And when people create even more stress for themselves in this desire to be perfect and and have everything completed, um, it actually can have quite the opposite effect of what you want from an active lifestyle. If you are just so hard pressed to follow, you know, everything on the training plan and it has to be an hour and I have to do 30 minutes of this and I have to do, you know, an hour and 15 of that and you can't get it in and it just causes this incredible amount of stress. Um, I mean, we really need to kind of look at that and evaluate it. So true story this summer, I actually got in trouble for doing all of my sessions in a day because I wasn't being smart about the timing of them and the recovery that I needed for the next day. And so I immediately thought of this when I, when I saw this myth and we started talking about it and it was just a super busy work day for me. And I hadn't gotten to the pool yet. It's like eight o'clock at night. I go to bed super early. I'm like in bed at eight 30 if I can be, but I decide, Oh, I don't have my swim done yet. Like I'm, I'm just going to go knock out at least like three or four K of this. And, you know, and, and get it done. So I, I do, I go get to the pool. I mean, getting in the pool when I would normally be going to bed and get the session in, go back. It's late. Got to get up the next morning for a bike workout. Bike workout doesn't go phenomenally big surprise. Um, and have a, I wonder why Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I have a well nice chat with the coach the next morning. And I, I mean, it was very clear of like, you would have been better just to skip that workout. You would have been better to go to bed, to rest up, just to move on with the next day. You wouldn't have kind of sabotaged this bike workout by staying up so much later than you normally do and stressing out about getting it done. And so, yeah, I mean, if you're listening to your body, there are going to be workouts that you skip. It's going to happen. That's life. And we just kind of need to understand that and move on from it. Myth number 10 is that triathlon will absolutely take over your life because you just have to train all the time. When I first came into the sport, a a common joke that I would even hear is triathletes joking with each other that if you do an Ironman and you do not exit the backside of that Ironman uh, with with, with your marriage slightly in trouble, uh, you did not train hard enough for your Ironman. And I, I always hated that joke. Uh, I like my wife. I like hanging out with her. I, I didn't want to do a sport that was going to put my family life in jeopardy. Uh, and I'm sure the the, the the two of you feel the same way. Um, th- this certainly is a misconception. It, it, it's a myth that triathlon has to take over our life. Uh, John, talk to us about this. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I've always hated that one. It just, I, I get it's a joke. I know it's not serious, but man, that's one of those that just kind of always rubs me wrong. And really for two reasons. Uh, one is, you know, my marriage is so important and, and certainly wouldn't hopefully allow anything like a, a sport or a hobby to, to, to interfere with that. And then just the fact that it's just so wrong. It is fact, a, a horrible myth, perhaps even the worst myth we've, we've discussed. And, and it kind of goes back to, to what I said in the warm up question though. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, is, uh, you know, you can still train, um, train to race at a, a high level, be competitive, uh, achieve your goals and, and still, um, do that within a, a reasonable time constraint. Um, most people have an hour a day to dedicate to, to their fitness or, or if they should, um, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, if, if you're properly, balancing your life and planning your days, you, you should be taking it, you know, at least an hour, give or take for yourself and, and focusing on your fitness. Um, and, and, you know, you can get a whole lot done in an hour a day. Um, and, you know, maybe you've got a little extra time on the weekends or, or somewhere during the week and, and have the opportunity to, to race, uh, some of those longer distances. But, um, you know, you, your, your lifestyle can absolutely align with, with your hobby and, and then your priorities, like your, your family, your profession, all those other things. So, um, you know, I, I think it, it goes back to that myth of that you have to train, um, large amounts of volume, high, high hours per week to be competitive and you just don't. Um, so, so kind of that being said with that myth debunked, I think we can debunk this one, uh, that, uh, triathlon doesn't have to take over your life and, uh, you can still be very engaged, very competitive and still, um, be happily, happily married. Yeah, I, th this was one of the things that attracted me to try it out as an athlete in the first place is I, I wanted some smarter try coaching. I wanted somebody who knew more than I did to be writing my training plan. Uh, and and, and the, the, the price was right. But, but even beyond that, that the fact that try it out was promising, you can train less because you're training smarter. And sure enough, as soon as I jumped on, my, uh, jumped on as an athlete, I was training in all three sports, less hours than I was when I was coaching myself. And I was improving at a faster rate. And that remains uh, the case to this day. So uh, thank you, John, for thoroughly debunking that. That may have been myth number 10 on our run sheet here, but it's myth number one in our hearts. Uh, so glad that one's killed off. Uh, myth number 11, uh, hitting kind of the, the back third of the episode today. Uh, a lot of people believe that you must run a marathon before doing your Ironman or a half marathon before 70.3. That the, the bike and swim equivalent of this also exists where people think, oh, I need to go do a century ride before doing my Ironman. Uh, Elizabeth, bust this myth for us. I feel like maybe you gave that to me since the marathon's my favorite. You're like, hey, hmm. say this for yourself. Like, you don't have Let's to see what go Elizabeth do has this. to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, may, or maybe she'll say, yeah, we all should. Um, no. Okay. Let's, let's, Let's answer this truthfully here. Um, you can do a marathon before an Ironman, but you definitely don't need to. And you certainly don't need to within the training build to racing an Ironman. Um, I, I mean, just as John was talking about, you know, the difference between just running and running off the bike. I mean, running a marathon and running an Ironman marathon are less similar than I think most people would expect, both in terms of the training preparation and the race day experience. So most standalone marathon runners are predominantly gaining their aerobic fitness from running, whereas you know a triathlete is building that through swimming, biking, and running. So the run volume of a marathoner is going to be much larger than that of a triathlete. And then from the race day perspective, you know, it's it's a little bit different starting fresh at mile one of a running event versus coming off of a 112 mile bike ride. Just like, you know, doing a 20 minute run off the bike as your transition run and training feels a little bit different and the legs are a little bit like jello. Um, yeah, you're you're not going to have those fresh feeling legs coming off of a 112 mile bike ride either. So while running a marathon you know, outside of an Ironman may give you a sense of accomplishment or maybe a little confidence about having covered that distance before. It's still an incredibly different experience in an Ironman. And having run a marathon before doing an Ironman doesn't mean that, you know, your performance is going to directly translate because they're still very different experiences. I, I would say that, you know, if you want to do a marathon before an Ironman or, you know, a, a half marathon before doing a 70.3, 
doing it in the season like prior to that triathlon event and not as part of mm, yeah. those triathlon preparations. Um, now, I mean, more experienced athletes may able may be able to do this and and not necessarily race it, but use it in incorporation with some of their long run training. Um, I know athletes that just love running. I mean, myself included. And, you know, we want to put those events in every so often as well. Um, But just know that you may be sacrificing some of that performance potential from the triathlon event by placing those other race events in there. Just as we talked about, you know, not racing your way to fitness. There there is a a cost of racing often. Um, I, I really think, you know, as much as I love the marathon, it's a much better idea to keep that separate from any preparations of preparing for long course racing. Myth number 12, uh, going into uh, strength training here. I've heard a lot of triathletes express that they are hesitant to do too much strength training because in triathlon, you think that leaner is better and you don't want to bulk up and put this unnecessary uh, muscle on and then have to carry that muscle uh, on race day. John, why is this a myth? Again, there's there's a certain amount of truth to it, but um, as as a rule, um, it's it's a myth. And and this is I was actually talking with Jeff Rains earlier today, who uh, early in the year he's been doing a lot of of weightlifting, and he's talked about putting on a few pounds. Uh, he's got a marathon coming up, looking to uh, have have a great race. But he talked about he I'm, I'm a couple pounds up because of this weight training um, that that he's been doing. Um, I've never had that issue. I've, I've certainly <laughs> raced a few pounds up, but not because of my weight training. My body type, I can work out consistently in the gym for a year and I, I won't gain a single pound. I know other people who can go to the gym three times and gain 10 pounds. Um, and so it, it's really about being intentional with what you're doing in the gym uh, in knowing what type of body uh, kind of body type you have. If you are uh, that type of person that um, – for, for better or worse, can go to the gym and, and add uh, several pounds relatively quickly. What you do in the gym uh, is is going to be important because you want to make sure that um, we, we know there's a cost to additional weight um, in, in triathlon. So any weight that is gained will need to be um, – We'll need to produce more more power, more speed. So you need to make sure that it's a profitable gain. Um, so you know, kind of like the beach muscles, having bigger biceps uh, is, isn't going to make you a faster triathlete. Um, so it's it's more about being being intentional with what you're doing in the gym, focusing on uh, the the building power in the uh, muscle groups that you're going to be using to to swim, bike, and run. Also, uh, obviously, core strength, uh, mobility. Um, working on uh, the the smaller muscle groups for injury prevention and, and those kinds of things. So it's about being intentional with what you're doing in, uh, in your strength training. It's obviously a very important component to it. It's a opportunity to increase power and speed. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not something you, your, your, your intent is not to bulk up. Uh, your intent is to, to be faster, more efficient, um, more injury adverse, um, so it's, it's really about what you do, uh, and how you approach those, those strength training sessions. Myth number 13 is that the swim isn't all that important because it is such a small percentage of the race. I've even heard triathletes express that, oh, well, well it, it, the swim is just a prelude, you know, that you get through the swim and it's the bike and the run that really matter. Uh, and, and in terms of race pacing, that can kind of be true, but in terms of your overall performance and, and what we need to be doing with our training hours, uh, yeah, we 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 got to be able to swim. Um, Elizabeth, talk to us about the myth of the swim not being all that important. Yes, I can tell you from personal experience that the swim absolutely matters. Um, and 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 as you were saying, Andrew, like I understand the basis for this myth, as the swim is the smallest percentage of the distance, the smallest percentage of time that we are going to be spending in a triathlon event. And many people will argue that it's not worth the hours and hours of training time that would be necessary to improve their swim performance by a few minutes. And and to that point, you know, it truly is about your personal goals within the sport and, and if those few minutes matter to you. But the swim itself, like, yes, it's important. It's the first discipline of our sport. We have to get out of the water to be able to, you know, even get into T1 and progress onto the bike. And for many people, the swim can be a large barrier 
to either their participation or their enjoyment in the sport. I mean, you need to be comfortable in the water. You need to be confident in your ability to complete this portion of the race. And then I'd say, you know, once you're comfortable, once you're confident, then it becomes a question of your performance improvement and and the value, especially your value of your time on that improvement. Do you want to be spending the time to get, you know, those couple minutes faster? Maybe not. And so there's maybe where the myth comes in and they say, oh, it's, you know, it's not important. Um, Well, maybe it's not important because they're already confident enough in completing that part of it. But if you're worried about the swim, you know, you, you have to take that part seriously. It is the first discipline. We've got to do it. It is swim, bike, run. It's important. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we also hear in the sport is that you're not necessarily going to win it on the swim, but you can lose it. And I can say, you know, competing as a pro now. Yeah. Like the swim is important. I've, I've really got to work to close that gap because it makes a big difference in my personal racing. Yeah. And I love the, the fact that you point out Elizabeth, that this really depends somewhat on, on who you are and what your goals are in, in the sport. Uh, cause I know for me, um, now that I have my first Ironman under my belt, my next goal is going sub five hours at a 70.3. And uh, right, right now, uh, my my swim fitness, I'm at 37 to 40 minute uh, swim leg on a half Ironman. And man, I'm going to I'm going to have such a better crack at going under five hours if I can knock five minutes off of that. Um, so, so for me, getting that swim fitness improved is certainly going to help me attain my next personal goal in this sport. I think to uh, a friend of mine who is a staff member at Precision Fuel and Hydration. His name is Chris Harris. Shout out to him. Uh, he's actually on the Trout Out Preseason Project right now, uh, trying out the platform, see what he what he likes, uh, what he thinks of the training. Um, Chris grew up swimming in, in the UK, swim club, swim team. Uh, he just raced Kona this last year. He went 51 minutes in Kona uh, as his swim split. Uh, so yeah, Chris doesn't spend a whole lot of time in the pool. He he, he told me he, I, I get in the pool just enough to keep my feel for the water and to keep those the, the, those skills sharp. Uh, but I'm spending more time gaining fitness on the bike and the run. Uh, so certainly depends on who you are, what your background is, and what your next goal is in the sport. So great stuff there, Elizabeth. Uh, two more myths to knock down today. Number 14 is all of the training gear in triathlon is so expensive. If you become a triathlete, you're just going to be slinging the credit card around all the time to get everything you need. Uh, this, this can certainly be true, but it doesn't have to be. John, why is this a myth? Oh, it's, it's not a myth. This one's, <laughs> this one's true. This, this one is real. <laughs> <This one's>, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but it doesn't have to be, um, you know, there, there are lots of opportunities to, uh, kind of, uh, handle the sport, uh, navigate the sport on, on a budget. Um, we, we've talked about, this through through lots of different podcasts. I think we even have a couple uh, episodes dedicated to um, to this kind of triathlon on a dime kind of a thing. Um, but you know, I, I think um, it's it's like we mentioned on the bikes. It's it's starting with what you've got. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, I've heard so many people who did their first triathlon on a borrowed bike, um, a borrowed bike, a used bike. You know, there's uh, people that are constantly upgrading. And uh, looking to to offload uh, some of their older equipment. There's still some uh, equipment with lots and lots of miles left on it that uh, you can pick up uh, at a great price. So the secondhand market uh, is great. Or just borrowing um, from friends. My first couple seasons, um, I I borrowed uh, race wheels, and I, I raced every race I ever did on a set of really fancy race wheels. And and uh, fortunately, because of a good friend, they didn't cost me a dime. Um, so, uh, and then the other thing is just building up over time. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's once a year, you, you kind of add one of the, the bigger, um, ticket items. Maybe it's, it's, uh, strategizing around holidays, birthdays, Christmas kinds of things. You know, we, we've talked about all these things in the past, but, uh, you, you, you can certainly, uh, go all in and just throw a, a chunk of cash down day one. But, uh, most people, uh, kind of, kind of goes slow and, and it takes a couple of years. And, and, and the great thing is you eventually will arrive, uh, largely at a critical mass where, where it does get a little cheaper and, uh, you've, you've, you've acquired all the toys and, uh, it, it gets a little cheaper after that. Yeah. So th- this could be the least mythy myth on this list of 15 <laughs> myths, because to your point, it can be true, uh, but it doesn't have to be. And so, uh, we're, we're, we're going to debunk this as, 
across the board unilaterally, this is not always true. So we're going to call it somewhat of a myth for the purposes of this episode. Uh, okay, shut us down here in the main set, Elizabeth, with myth number 15. Uh, a lot of people have, have the idea in their heads that triathlon is, is an Ironman, and you are not a true triathlete if you have not raced a full-distance event. Uh, bust this up for the love of everything good and holy, and uh, we'll call this episode a done deal. Yeah, I think we just say, you know, like false, 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 the end. Like it that's just not true. Um Hogwash. Yes. <laughs> Rubbish. I Poppycock. I mean, I'd rather race an Ironman than a sprint distance event myself. I mean, each of us is gifted with different, you know, interests, different strengths, different abilities. Sprints are hard. Yeah. My sprints are really hard. My strength is not in short course racing. Um and you wouldn't say that the athletes that compete in triathlon in the Olympics are not true triathletes. I mean, some of them may not ever do a full distance event, but you wouldn't look at an Olympic triathlete and say, oh, you're not a triathlete. Um, so, yeah, swim, bike, run. You do a triathlon. You're part of the triathlon family, whatever distance that is. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Welcome to the cool down, everybody. I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. For today's coach cool down tip, I am joined by TriDot coach Jared Irvin, who usually lives in South Africa, but is currently in Muscat, Oman, running the water skills program at Cheltenham International School. Jared is an avid trail runner and has expertise in swimming and strength training. He has been coaching triathlon for four years with Infinitude Multisport Coaching and with TriDot as an athlete and as a coach since 2020. And you know what? He loves TriDot. But most importantly, Jared is passionate about helping athletes achieve success that they didn't even think was possible for them. He specializes in coaching athletes on swim technique, biomechanics, trail running, and integrating holistic wellness. Something that most people don't know about Jared is that Jared was an overweight young boy, so he started swimming. Not only did this help him become physically healthier, it helped him gain self-confidence through skill development and performance. Welcome to the cool down, Jared. Great to be here. Thanks, Vanessa. Okay, Jared, hit us with your coach cool down tip for the day. Okay, so my tip for today is a little bit of a, more of an insight from, from myself. Uh, so I hope you guys find it valuable. The tip for today is to figure out how your training adds value to you and when it starts detracting from the other elements of your life. And obviously, I don't want to get too like airy-fairy about this, but if I look at when I started doing triathlon in 2018, um, I had a good swim base, um, I had a good run base, and I really wasn't, I mean, I did like some cycling, but I wasn't a good cyclist. And what triathlon taught me, which was completely different to other races or maybe on par with like trail running, is that you really have to prepare for everything, um, every eventuality and have, and without completely overcomplicating it, but um, there's, there's a whole bunch of processes involved that aren't involved in other races, like a, a half marathon or a marathon type of thing, you know. If you have your running shoes, you should be all right because they've got water stations and things like that. With triathlon, um, you you need to be quite a bit more self-sufficient. Um, and that caused a change in other aspects of my life. So like running my business and dealing with clients and managing communications with friends or family or colleagues or that type of thing. It streamlined the way I process things and the way I prepare for things. Now, obviously, I'm not perfect, so I still get those things wrong, but I do think about it more systematically. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with you that so many of the elements that people learn from the sport of triathlon can definitely be taken and inserted into various aspects of their lives. And I know for myself as well, the strength that I find in hard training sessions and and in racing situations when things don't go quite as planned, the strength that I gather from those moments definitely help me 
to propel other areas of my life and to know that it's, it's much easier to do those hard things because I have the skills that I've learned through the difficulty of experiencing, you know, the hardships of racing. So I totally agree with you. Cool. So just on like when it, being able to notice when it starts taking away from the value of the other aspects of life. So like family and things like that. And I think other people and coaches will also teach this is you need to be able to know, okay, I, I need to do this hard training session, but maybe my family is more important today or maybe work is more important today. And yeah, I think doing triathlon, you're much more or should become better at assessing whether what's the priority. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's also something that's very important um, because a lot of people I think will, especially as a, as a newer triathlete, potentially they go all out and they go all into their training and it can eventually lead to burnout because they've, exhausted their training capabilities and they've exhausted their family as well in terms of their family's um, ability to put up with all of the things that we constantly ask for as triathletes in terms of time. Um, So I think that it's really valuable to be, to be mindful of how much we're asking of the family to support um, and, and hopefully that can mitigate burnout for the athlete when the time comes. So true. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.